Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Focus on Albany, Spotlight on the State Capitol. I'm with my friend Zach Williams, and this is our swan song for the year because uh, as far as I heard this afternoon, Cuomo said it was the session ended. So, you know, Zach and I won't be talking about the legislature for January, probably. Um, so, Zach, has this been a momentous week? Well, it's, uh, you know, they passed the state budget this week, um, which not only will keep the government going through the ongoing pandemic, but also included a whole litany of policy proposals, everything from changes to the recently enacted criminal justice reforms, paid gestational surrogacy being legalized, a permanent ban on fracking. Uh, You could say it was a big week in the Capitol, that's for sure. But recreational marijuana was not passed, right? That was probably the most high-profile proposal that the governor had um, unveiled in January that didn't make the cut. Another big one that proved equally tricky to resolve with lawmakers was defining gig workers, um, which would really... you know, might open the way for them to get increased rights, overtime, um, things of that nature, especially for, you know, the Uber drivers, the Lyft drivers, um, you know, gig economy people. And unfortunately, they couldn't resolve that one either. So it might be uh, sometime probably until next year before either of them can make their way through the legislature. Let's talk a little bit about the economy. I heard a figure that that, that, that said that at some point there might be, 30% unemployment, that's one-third of the workforce. That's almost like the economy collapsing. What do you think? Well, there certainly has been a huge deluge of unemployment claims, both in the state and across the country. I think 3 million workers applied for unemployment um, as of the middle of March. So, you know, it's the last two weeks where we really had the biggest um, you know, if you if you want to say damage to the economy, um, so it remains to be seen how extensive the um, the spike in unemployment will be. Um, it seems very likely it will be higher than it was during the height of the um, 2008 2009 recession, where I believe it hovered somewhere around 10 percent. Um, that said, you know, unemployment statistics are a little bit misleading in some ways. Um, <clears throat> Insofar as they only record the people that that apply for unemployment, they don't capture the people who were uh, ineligible for it, people that have already given up looking for work or just haven't bothered to apply for unemployment. Uh, so I think it's fair to say whether it ends up being five percent, ten percent, or maybe even you know twenty five percent, like it was during the Great Depression almost a hundred years ago. It's fair to say that the actual numbers of people who don't have work but theoretically could work is um, a bit higher than the statistics suggest. So back in the Depression, you know, people people were desperate at that point. And then when Franklin Roosevelt came along, and it wasn't all of the social programs that he enacted that got us out of the Depression, but it was the Second World War. So do you do you foresee maybe another New Yorker taking up the mantle for the presidency? 
Well, I, I think the first point you made there about World War II really um, marking the end of the Great Depression is um, an important point to be made as successful as FDR um, was during the 1930s. You know, he only mitigated the worst of the um, of the Great Depression. It really was, you know, the increased demand of the uh, the Second World War that really pulled the country as a whole out of it. We could see if the coronavirus uh, epidemic creates a similar level of demand and national mobilization um, to jumpstart the economy once again. Circumstances very different, um, but then as now there is a you know a New York State governor who's kind of entering the national scene in a way we haven't seen before. I don't think uh, Andrew Cuomo is going to be president anytime soon, as as much as maybe some Democrats might want, considering the, the um, shall we say, lackluster uh, presence of Joe Biden. Um, you know, the, the primaries have already come and gone. Um, for the most part, you know, um, it would be uh, it would require a huge effort to even get on the ballot in most of these states at this point. And I don't think we should discount the fact that Andrew Cuomo um, has time and time again, even in recent weeks, said that he's not interested in being president, not interested in being vice president or in a high-profile cabinet position like maybe attorney general or secretary of state. And at some point, you got to uh, ask, you know, whether you believe somebody. I think a key point to keep in mind is that Andrew Cuomo is a pretty politically savvy person, a uh, you know, an overall uh, fairly smart guy. And I think he might realize that his national stardom right now could be short-lived. You know. Keep in mind, in a week or so, we're going to see the apex of the pandemic here in New York City. Um, you know, the political situation and the, you know, um, national judgment of his handling of the crisis could change for better or worse. Right now, he's gotten a lot of, um, of compliments for how he's handled it. But, you know, in a month, um, the focus might very well not be on New York City anymore at all. Like, it could move on to, you know, the South. Florida is one place where there's a, expected to be a big spike in cases. California could always erupt again. Um, so I think when, whenever you talk about whether Andrew Cuomo all of a sudden uh, might be thrust into the Democratic nomination for president, you've got to keep that all in mind. Um, while he's having a moment now, there's no guarantees that that's going to last more than a couple of weeks, much less through November of this year. I respectfully disagree with you. I I think I think not only will he be nominated, I think he'll be coronated. That's my view. I, I could be wrong. You could be right, but that's how I view it. Well, I would agree with you insofar as if all else being equal, if there were a magic wand and somebody uh, said, hey, uh, Governor Cuomo, if I can wave this magic wand, you'd be president, I think he would take that offer. But, um, you know, a lot of things could change. It certainly is a small possibility, but I guess we'll just have to wait and see. That's what's uh, so exciting about politics uh, from time to time. Right, right. And this year has definitely been, you know, you never know what's going to happen from one day to the next. It's true. You know, the, the, there's still a lot of primaries that have not been decided. And Biden hasn't got up to the magic number yet, right? No, he hasn't gone to that all-important, um, you know, uh, majority of pledged delegates. Some primaries, like New York's, um, have been moved from April to June. So, you know, there's still... 
there is a little bit of an opening for some sort of uh, so-called white knight candidate to emerge. But that said, um, you know, it's still a heavy lift. you got to get on the ballot. And if you don't get on the ballot, you got to do it right in. You could theoretically try to make a go for it at the national convention, which the Democrats have also moved, I, I think, from uh, um, from July into August. i got to double-check. But, mm-hmm. right. um, but keep in mind, you know, the per changes made in 2016 after the whole um, Bernie versus Hillary situation, um, on the first – vote, um, you know, delegates have to, you know, uh, super delegates don't get to vote at all. The And pledge delegates have to vote for the person that they were elected to vote for. So if right. Joe Biden, you know, we got Wisconsin coming up on Tuesday. I think that will be a, you know, a, a, a really big um, um, trial, if you will, of whether or not the primary schedule can continue uh, more or less uh, on a normal basis. Um, you know, he'll pick up some more delegates uh, in the upcoming week. And if, you know, the voting isn't a complete disaster, I think a lot of primaries will continue to be held, um, you know, whether it's by mail or um, by in-person voting, you know, in the weeks ahead. So, you know, he's he's not far from gaining that majority, but you're right to point out that Joe Biden hasn't quite gotten the nomination um, clinched. But, um, you know, mm-hmm. that still could happen in a month or so. And by that time, you know, it's kind of game over for anybody else that uh, has hopes, however remote, of being the Democratic nominee. Uh, my perception is Joe Biden hasn't really gone out publicly. You don't see him on TV. You don't see him make any statements. And Cuomo's out there every day. And I think the uh, brother thing, the two, the two brothers are really, that's really pulling on people's heartstrings. So if Biden continues to be invisible and Cuomo continues to be visible, pulling on heartstrings, talking about his brother, talking about his mother, talking about his father, I really think he's got a shot at it. Yeah, you know, it's just, uh, you know, just sometimes I'm kind of amazed whenever I talk to people who aren't just uh, saturated in politics all the time. You know, there was a Lyft driver up in Albany the other day, and, you know, while he gives the governor high marks for his handling thus far of the of the pandemic, um, it was a bit surprising just how little um, your average New Yorker um, really still hears about the governor and, you know, some of the, you know, the, the the ways that he's personalized the crisis so much. Um, it, mm-hmm. it makes you wonder just, you know, how how deep his national exposure really is and whether it's something that journalists um, and political pundits such as us might be talking about a lot more than your average, you know, Joe out there in uh, swing states like Michigan and Ohio. Um, you know, it's it's undeniable that the governor is having a moment that he has a spot on the national stage unlike any other he's ever had. Um, but, mm-hmm. you know, he is a guy that while he's, you know, been pretty successful in upcoming, you know, in, in the last couple of weeks, you know, humanizing himself, he's not that, that person um, typically who, you know, is great at glad handing or, or really winning voters over through pure charisma and personality. You know, his his thing is always competence, 
Um, it's interesting to see, especially compared to um, the president's response to the pandemic, how oh that God. you know this idea of, of of being capable is kind of has a renewed um, appeal to Americans. But, you know, everything's going to come down to what happens in the next week or two. Um, everything could change. Maybe Andrew Cuomo will be uh, more famous, more popular, more respected than ever. Um, but I still uh, think the smart money is on in a, in a month or, or two. Um, the, fo- the national focus moving away from New York City and um, New York State, and that could mean uh, some other person uh, has an equally compelling political moment as well. Maybe. So, you know, the the session was pretty short. Um, assess the session for us. Well, what do you think was the success of this past session, legislative session? Well, um, certainly keeping government going at all um, is is a you know is a achievement that should be recognized. I think, though, um, you know, the the state legislature has really lost a lot of ground compared to the governor. Um, you know, you might recall last June, you know, they passed rent reforms over the governor. They passed the green light bill over uh, some of his objections. You know, this bill that it gave um, that allows undocumented people to get driver's licenses. You know, it really was a rare moment in recent state politics where the state legislature had really shown that it could operate independently of the governor and even exact its will um, over, you know, uh, Governor Cuomo, who more than much more than his predecessors like David Patterson or Elliot Spitzer or or um, Pataki, you know, had really shown that, you know, state politics moves through him. And, you know, lawmakers, including the new Democratic Senate majority, had really shown that, you know, they could assert their own power, um, you know, in some very significant ways. We haven't seen that this year, though. You know, I did a piece a couple days ago about how, you know, changing bail reform and keeping public education funding flat, that was not the game plan at the beginning of the year. This was supposed to be the year where um, Democratic lawmakers really built on those accomplishments from last year and showed that they were a force to be reckoned with. But, you know, other than a package of bills aimed at limousine safety, uh, an issue that was actually kicked down the road last year, um, some mm-hmm. the rare thing they couldn't solve, you know, other than that, the state assembly and state Senate did not pass a single bit not a single bill that I can recall of significant legislation before the beginning of March. You know, yeah, there were one House bill that passed the Senate or the Assembly, but they didn't coordinate their efforts at all except for that limo safety. And I think that really shows just how bad their position was once the pandemic began. The governor uh, strong-armed them into, you know, giving him a huge expansion of emergency powers. You know, he can basically do what, um, whatever he wants so long as it has to do with dealing with the emergency at hand. And, you know, that bill is not going to um, sunset until next April. So, you know, it does all depend whether there's a state and federal emergency. But, you know, so you got that. And then you got the fact that the legislature didn't even meet at all during the month of March, except to um, pass the paid sick leave legislation as well as the – the bill that changed the politi- the um, the petitioning requirements to get on the ballot for the upcoming primary, you know, that was it for all of March, except for the final week where they did pass the state budget 
And I think you do got to give the governor and lawmakers their due that there was a lot of things in there that that did get resolved. My opinion is they tilted heavily towards the governor's position, you know, issues like paid gestational surrogacy, um, um, you know, so many things. You know, most of the proposals that the governor had in the state of the state in January ended up passing in the budget with the exception of marijuana and the gig workers. Um, you know, everything from this $300 million plan to change the Erie Canal to the environmental bond that will go on the ballot in November now to, um, you know, even uh, lots of little things, um, you know, changes to cash bail and discovery, um, you know, a huge list of things that passed in the budget, you know, while the governor got much more that, of what he wanted, the lawmakers, to some extent, did get a few things that they wanted as well, but all in all, by the end of April, by the beginning of April, I think it's pretty obvious that you know Governor Cuomo's political position, state politics, is is stronger than ever. While the lawmakers could um, reconvene in the upcoming weeks and months because they did pass you know a resolution uh, allowing remote voting, I just don't see it uh, very likely that there's going to be any dramatic. Uh, lawmaking going on in the New York State Legislature uh, until, you know, next year. So do you think this pandemic changed the way New Yorkers will be governed? In other words, you know, they did a lot of the stuff through technology. You think that's going to stick? Well, you know, New York State traditionally has uh, a part-time legislature. They meet between, you know, January and June, typically a few days um, a, um, a week. And you know, if if the uh, if the Assembly Speaker Carl Hasty and Majority Leader Andrea Stewart Cousins are so inclined, you know, they could get a lot done if they wanted to. If you know, through remote voting and through remote sessions, you know, that could be a real game changer. The question is. Um, is not only whether or not they want to do it, but whether they can do it in a way that, you know, instills the, the discipline you need to shepherd, um, you know, uh, very diverse conferences in the Assembly and the State Senate in a way that actually leads to, you know, passing legislation. You know, a lot of these things that are still outstanding, you know, say marijuana, for example, some of these housing um reforms that are being, you know, um, thrown around like suspending rent, you know, there's a lot of diversity of opinion within the Democratic conferences, you know, between moderates and liberals, between, um, you know, avowed Marxists like State Senator uh, Julia Salazar and, you know, some mm -hmm. of these moderate Long Island um, Democrats who are really concerned about uh, the Republican opponents in November. So it, it's a heavy lift to, you know, get things done remotely, but, if uh, Speaker Hasty and Majority Leader Andrea Stewart-Cousins, um, you know, prove themselves up to the challenge, there is an opportunity to get a lot of things done and to redefine how the state legislature functions. You know, um, up until now, it's always been, you know, you go to session and and you have votes and debates like anything else, and people got to be there. And then, you know, by the end of the week, it's over, and by the end of June, it's over for the year. You know, that could change. You know, they could meet in October if they want and pass laws. One thing I would like to point out, though, is a, a small but very significant difference between the remote voting resolutions in the Assembly and the Senate. The Assembly can meet 
whether if as long as they're can can meet remotely and vote remotely so long as there is a state or national emergency while the senate can only meet if there is a national emergency so if uh, president trump uh, gets up tomorrow morning and tweets um that he's rescinding his emergency declaration for the country that's game over for the state Senate this year unless they pass some other type of resolution, whereas the Assembly kind of gave themselves some more flexibility, all of which, of course, is at the discretion of the Speaker himself. What, what was uh, life like down at the Capitol when people started to realize that this is going to be a game changer did you see people's minds like what was it like? Well, I think there's just been a lot of confusion within the capital itself. You know, the the governor in the second floor where where the governor's offices are, um, you know, has had the initiative seemingly the whole time for the past month. Um, a lot of lawmakers don't know what's going on. A lot of them actually don't, you know, know a lot less than uh, us reporters do. I think in the last week, in the final stretch of, of budget season, you know, I'd walk around the Capitol at night to be virtually abandoned. Although it'd be kind of funny, you know, from time to time, uh, you'd walk around somewhere and you'd just see a um, a member of the legislature just kind of sitting in the darkness, listening to uh, you know the uh, legislative session remotely because you know they couldn't go in the chamber except a few at a time. Um, Assemblyman mm-hmm. Santa Barbara from um, uh, the Albany area, Schenectady, I think is where right. his, his district is located. Um, you know, mm-hmm. he was just kind of sitting uh, outside the Senate chamber, uh, kind of quiet, had his Bluetooth headphones on, and I would chat to him a little bit. You know, people had to keep mm-hmm. their distance, but I think the lawmakers were well aware of the gravity of the situation. But there wasn't just a lot that they could do. You know, how are, you know, even if you had very strong opinions like like uh, Assemblyman Santa Barbara, who's kind of a political centrist, or Assemblywoman uh, Yuli New, who's, you know, um, relatively far to the political left, Um, you know, even when you try, you're kind of speaking to an empty chamber. You don't have your your colleagues, you know, um, in the hallways, in the chamber, where you can kind of whisper in their ear and and try to urge them on to your position, um, you know, through interpersonal contact. That's all gone. I don't know if if there was uh, equally compelling arguments being made through instant messages or texts or whatnot, but I think the the biggest takeaway I had was that the the lawmakers were scrambling. They they just didn't know where things stood, and the budget um, process, which has always been really determined by the so-called three people in a room, the Assembly Speaker, the Senate Majority Leader, and the Governor, um, mm-hmm. you know, was was more secretive than it's ever been. You know, nobody knew what was going on. Um, and I'm not even convinced that the speaker and the majority leader really knew what was going on. It, it really all came from the governor, and, you know, it was up to the speaker and the majority leader to react, and, you know, they managed to claw back and push back on a few issues. The assembly speaker, notably on bail reform, where he kept out um, the so-called dangerousness provision, which would let judges um, jail people pre-trial if they were, a, you know, a perceived danger to public safety. You know, they got that one. Um, they did extract a concession from the governor on um, a key, very key provision in the budget, which allows him to make, um, you know, funding cuts at each fiscal quarter if revenues fall below um, projections. That's huge. That means that the spending plan they came up with now doesn't have to hold as long as state revenues continue to drop. 
the lawmakers did manage to get um, a provision, you know, stuck in there that would give them 10 days to kind of come up with their own counterproposal. But keep in mind, this is a election year. What appetite are the state lawmakers really going to have to make unpopular choices about whether to cut school funding versus health care versus something else? Um, I think the governor has, you know, um, um, you know, uh, has quite has quite um, accurately recognized the opportunity there. And he has said as much in his press conferences with re- reporters, if the lawmakers want to decide what to cut themselves and they can come back each fiscal quarter and decide. Um, I'm mm-hmm. not convinced. And it sounds like he isn't either that lawmakers really have an appetite to do that. Um, but we'll just have to wait and see. What's going to be interesting is to see how all of these uh, candidates, whether they be incumbents, or challengers, it's going to be interesting to see how they wage campaigns. That's going to be the next big thing that I'm looking at. It's, uh, I think it's all about the social media, um, all about, um, you know, obviously digital organizing. You know, I've seen some some candidates, you know, they've, they've tried to play it like they're uh, all into volunteerism now, and they'll they'll you know, post photos of themselves packing lunches for people or, or um, you know, anything else. You know, well, there was one candidate, uh, Jennifer Rajkumar, who has already uh, successfully lost several races, including a race for the Assembly in the Lower East Side. Now she's running in Queens, and she was actually going, knocking on doors, trying to verify signatures for a um, for a uh, fellow um, primary challenger to incumbent Assemblyman Mike Miller, um, wow. You know, so people are trying all sorts of things. You know, she says she had PPEs on, you know, masks, gloves, kept her social distance. But, you know, at a time of pandemic, um, it, it certainly took a, a bit of chutzpah to go door to door and think that um, it would just go unnoticed. And it didn't go unnoticed. You know, people uh, had a, a minor social media storm um, erupted over that one. And, you know, other candidates are just trying to um, hang in there. You know, luckily for them, the the petition requirements were lowered. They're just 30% of what they were required. So you just need like 150 votes to get on the ballot. Um, mm-hmm. You know, but it's, it's tough for any incumbent, um, or, or I'm sorry, any primary challenger to challenge an incumbent um, just because you're always struggling to get attention. And the best thing that an incumbent can do, like um, – Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez showed was, you know, was um, was hit the pavement, knock on doors, talk to as many people as possible, and that's not easier at all um, when you're trying to do it digitally. It just isn't the same, the type of attention right. you can get from a voter when you knock on their door and give them a little personal attention versus a, you know, a uh, virtual town hall or an email. Mm-hmm. Right. So what will you be covering now that the session's over? At city and state. Well, it's all about the coronavirus uh, right now. You know, we're we're keeping an eye on the governor. We'll keep an eye on the lawmakers, too, uh, you know, um, to the extent that they do much at all. um, You know, we'll have to wait and see. Um, You know, but I think the the big thing right now for all reporters is to to faithfully um, examine and report what public officials like the governor, the president, the mayor are saying, and to really evaluate whether that's translating into actual successful policy on the ground. So in our closing moments, Zach, 
and I will miss our conversations every week. Um, give yourself, like I say at the end of every show, give yourself, yourself a plug. Well, we're certainly ending these weekly conversations uh, months earlier than we would have thought, but people can right. uh, keep keep an eye on my work by going to cityandstateny.com, sign up for our new um, coronavirus newsletter. It comes out every day at 2 p.m., and they can always follow me at Zach Reports on Twitter. Are you are you writing the coronavirus reports yourself? I am every weekday, and a colleague handles it over the weekend. Great. So, Zach, I'm going to miss talking to you because I was hoping to talk to you until June. So we might talk from time to time on something that might might come up. And in, in the new session in January, I hope to resume the conversation. So you have been listening to Zach Williams. Zach Williams writes for City and State. I'm Cynthia Pooler. This is Focus on Albany, Spotlight on the State Government. If you like this show, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Zach, it's been a pleasure talking with you all these weeks. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Have a great day, and good luck, everybody, and stay well.